one of the things that we've done for a long time. And this is kind of a blanket thing. It, it works for a lot of different things, but we say, use your words. And if your words don't work, ask for help. Mm-hmm. So this, like I said, this covers a lot of stuff. It, it covers when they want something and their brother's not giving it to them, when their brother is bothering them and, and they don't want to be bothered, whatever the, whatever the case is. And, you know, we said that our children tend to be more physically driven mm-hmm. when it comes to expressing their feelings. And so, so we've just said this over and over and we've kind of made it our mantra. Use your words. And if your words don't work, ask for help. And we just implemented this new one. And I'm, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it yet, but I'm going to go ahead and share it. Okay. Yeah, it's an acronym. And the words uh, for the acronym are breathe. And then the second one is use your words. The third one is talk about your feelings. And the fourth one is take a step back. Now, the fourth one is kind of arbitrary, but I needed the second T so that I could spell but. (laughs) Good evening. Wait, good evening, Rachel. Good evening, Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm a little bit tired. Yeah. We are recording this at a different time from when we usually do. We Mm -hmm. usually record it in the middle of the day, but we are going to a funeral tomorrow. And so we decided to do the recording tonight instead. Mm -hmm. So if it sounds like we're a little bit more relaxed, that's probably why. Yep. It's kind of fun though. We, uh, we still have the community chat open, the Sean West community. And there's kind of a, a different group of folks in here tonight than we usually have joining us for the show. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. So what, are you, what did you do today? I wrote about probably 10,000 words worth of brainstorms for a fantasy series that I'm writing right now. So... It was pretty intense. I didn't really get up from the computer much of the time. That's not good for you. They say that you need to get up and at least stretch your legs and take a walk every 45 minutes. Yeah, but there's the whole flow thing. I mean, I was caught in it. That's that's definitely more than I did today. Yeah. But I also, I did a lot of stuff with the kids, so that kind of counts. I'd wanted to make this point we might have to do an episode about this sometime. But the point I wanted to make was that it seems as though as parents, sometimes we don't count the time that we spend with our families and with, uh, particularly with, well, I mean, children of any age, because there are different needs at different stages. But we tend to not count that toward our hustle time. You know, when we're, when we're looking back over our day and we're thinking about, okay, how much did we get accomplished? Oh gosh, I always count it. Well, that's good. That's like the hardest hustle time is when you're with your kids. 
Yeah. And see, I don't, I don't always do that. Sometimes I end up looking back and thinking, wow, I just, you know, I, I got some stuff done during my work and then, you know, I had to stop working and then I was spending time with the kids. But really that time that you spend with the kids can be pretty intense. Oh yeah. I mean, I did like eight loads of laundry today in addition to trying to keep three-year-old twins out of everything, everything so that they wouldn't pour gasoline all over the grass like they did a couple of days ago. Shh. <laughs> They're exhausting. Yeah. They, that's, it's like, a, yeah, that's hustle time. Well, what you just, I, I want you to remember what you just said, because I think that's going to come back into the show a little bit later. Okay. So just make a note. Wait, today, what, I, what I said that they're exhausting? Yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So today we're talking about getting the siblings to get along. And I don't, so I, I wanted to get, get into our pasts a little bit with this one. I don't remember much of how my parents managed conflict between my brother and I. I definitely remember conflicts with him. Mm-hmm. He was, he, he's my younger brother. He's three and a half years younger than I am. And he was really tricksy. We would get in an argument over something and then eventually I would hit him and he would bend over and act like he was really sad and upset. And, you know, I'm... I'm a pretty compassionate person, very empathetic, and and I would feel bad almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And so I'd I'd go over and I'd put my hand on his back and I'd say, "Oh, I'm I'm so sorry. Are you okay?" And then, like right in the middle of me apologizing, he'd turn around and and uh, nail me. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what little brothers do. I fell for it every time too. But my mom has told me that. It was one of the most infuriating things she dealt with as a parent was seeing us fight. She just couldn't get her mind around the fact that we couldn't get along. It angered her so much that we would ever argue or or fight about something or hurt one another, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you remember how your parents dealt with disagreements or, or sibling rivalry or anything like that? Well, I had a little bit of a different dynamic than you did because I had a younger sister and an older brother. So I was kind of the, you know, the forgotten middle child. But, um, I do remember my brother and I are only 10 months and two weeks apart. So he and I were almost, I mean, I'm not going to say twins because there's, you know, there's nothing like twins, but he and I were very much close in age. And so when, our sister would do something. We kind of teamed up against her because that was, you know, it's like three's a crowd, right? Yeah. So, um, I remember having uh, a tape recorder where we would like, we would tape her crying and it sounded like a wambulance. And what is, what is <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I, I, I'm not familiar with that term. Don't what is a wambulance? Are you going to make me do it really? Well, you, okay. It's when you cry like an ambulance, like the oh, siren, okay. you know? So we would record it when she was upset and then we would play it back for her and she would inevitably start laughing. So she wouldn't go tell mom, but, um, Oh really? It, okay. Yeah. It was, it was like this, you know, we were trying to do it so that we wouldn't get in trouble, but 
my I don't think my mom had a specific way of handling those sibling arguments, but um I I do remember that she never compared us and that she would always tell us that the ways that we were different were ways that we were unique and that we were valuable as we were because we were very different people, you know. Yeah. Um and so I feel like we grew up being okay with that individuality instead of trying to compete against each other. Yeah. Which is, which is, you know, sibling rivalry is kind of one of those things that you think is inherent in sibling relationships, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah. I, I th- I'd really like to dive into how that works and, and where it comes from. And mm-hmm. I think that'll be really good. Sam is joining us in the chat tonight. And he said, I'm excited for this episode. When I was little, my mom had a method of making us get along. When we would fight one another, we had a timeout where one of us sat at the top of the stairs and the other sat at the bottom. We couldn't leave the stairs until the other person said it was okay to leave. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. It was only once we were done being mad at each other and we had forgiven one another that we were ready to let the other person off the stairs. (laughs) I uh, I asked the question earlier in the chat. I said, did you have siblings growing up? What were some of the tactics your parents used? I got a, a couple of fun responses. I really like this one from Kel- uh, Kelsey. She said, what helped my brother? <laughs> okay, this was funny. She actually misspelled it. Bother? Yeah, I did see that. She meant brother, but she still bothered. She meant mm-hmm. she meant brother, but did she really mean bother? <laughs> now, what helped my brother and myself the most was learning how to communicate after a conflict in terms of I experienced this and not you made me feel. We've talked about that before, about owning your emotions mm-hmm. and not not saying, not letting somebody else have control over right. your emotions and saying you made me, but but it's I I feel, I feel. yeah. Mm-hmm. She continued, our parents taught us how to speak from our own perspectives without adding drama or insult, saved our relationship in the end, and we actually became good friends. So that's a really good one. Yeah, that's a good one. So what I wanted to start with was just this idea that conflict is natural and unavoidable. And I think there's a difference between conflict and sibling rivalry, and we'll get into those differences as we get into this episode. But conflict is just a natural part of cohabitating with other people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter how emotionally mature you are. There's always going to be some level of conflict that you have to deal with. And over time, some of us learn to deal with that really well. Our children, on the other hand, don't come into this world fully equipped with the ability to resolve conflict without, right. without help and, and instruction. So one of the best things we can do as parents is just to embrace the fact that conflict is going to happen and then see it as an opportunity. Every time there's conflict, it's an opportunity for our children to practice working through those conflicts in a healthy way, mm-hmm. in a way that preserves and, and protects the relationship. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go over a few things that 
meet those ends that are really focused on preserving and protecting the relationship, but allowing the conflict to play its course and doing so in a way that's healthy. Yeah. One of the things I was going to say is that um, as parents, we can't really be afraid of that conflict because the way that I like to look at it is every time my kids fight is another opportunity to teach them good conflict resolution. And so if we're diligent about, you know, getting involved in that, we have the opportunity to teach them how to manage conflicts wisely, you know? And I mean, I know a lot of adults who don't know how to do that. And so this is a huge gift that we can give our children. Oh my gosh. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You just wait till this is over. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. So the, one of the first things that we can do as parents and, and, I really love this approach for many things. I feel like sometimes the the best place you can start as a parent when it comes to any issue with our children is yourself. Mm-hmm. Because our children key off of us. They they watch our behavior more so much more than they listen to our words. Yeah. They they watch the way that we behave. And so when we start with our own ideas and thoughts about things, and and those thoughts and ideas can shape our actions and behaviors in a way that lead and demonstrate a better way for our children. That's much more powerful than anything that we could say. Mm-hmm. So that's where I like to start. So for us, I'd really like to redefine equality. And one of the books that we're reading, it's called Siblings Without Rivalry. Siblings Without Rivalry. Mm-hmm. Who's that by? It's Elaine Maslish and Adele, I think you say it, Faber. Okay. They're like the, um, I guess, the mothers of the good sibling relationship books. So a lot of the sibling relationship books that are written are based off of their ideas. It's a fantastic read. So one of their sections talks about equality and the way they talk about it, they say not to focus on making things equal but I think it really depends on how you define equality. There's this cartoon that I've seen that I really like. And I don't, I, I did some re- research. I couldn't find who made it, but you can look for it. It's if you search for equality, fence, something like that. But it's basically three people and they're standing in front of a fence at a baseball game. And, and there, there are two panels in the first panel, each of them has a box that's the same height, mm-hmm. but each person is a different height. So there's the tall person who can, especially with the box, see over the fence just fine. There's the normal person with the box can still see over the fence. And then there's the short person with the box still cannot see over the fence. Hmm. Now they all have the equal, they all have the same thing, mm-hmm. but because they're different individually, their experiences differ. And so in the second panel, the taller person doesn't have a box, can still see over the fence just fine. The normal person has one box and can see over the fence. And then the short person has two boxes Mm -hmm. and can also see over the fence. And so it was, it was a really powerful visual for me to, to look at equality in that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's no longer about, well, does, you know, does sibling A have the same amount 
of my time or mm-hmm. of a specific thing as sibling B. It really becomes more about their individual needs. Right. And I think we've seen examples of this too in things like holidays and Christmas. And we used to try to, you know, have this certain amount that we were going to spend on each child. Well, when your child is like six months old, they're not, you're not going to want to spend as much on them as you would an eight-year-old because, you know, the things that eight-year-olds are interested in are more expensive than what a six-month-old is interested in. And so yeah. you you kind of have to have that redefinition of equality. That's right. It's kind of like something we talk about on the Sean West podcast when we talk about how to price for design projects. And it really has less to do with the work that you're doing Mm -hmm. and more to do with the value of that work to the client. So for example, a really large company like Coca-Cola stands to gain a lot more value out of an effective marketing campaign than a mom and pop store would. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I think, you know, for our audience, maybe who are also designers and, and entrepreneurs who, who think that way, Mm -hmm. you can assign that same kind of idea to your children. Each of your children has different needs. They value your time, your attention, the, the things that you give them differently based on who they are as an individual. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we can do to help avoid the tendency to compare. So if a, if a child recognizes that another child has more than they do, they might say, Hey, he got, he got two more of whatever than I did. Instead of saying, Oh, let me, you know, let me give you the same amount or even pointing out, Oh, but you're smaller than he is. So something like that, that can still feel very demeaning to a child. Yeah. Address, address the child's needs and focus them on, on their needs and say, Oh, are you still hungry or, Oh, do you, do you feel like three cars isn't enough for you? How many cars would be enough for you? Mm -hmm. And in this way we can focus them on their real needs versus, uh, and, and you got to think about how that plays itself out over a lifetime. If, if you're constantly after having the same amount as somebody and never being content with having just what you need, you're going to have a miserable life. Yeah. Well, and, and that's where, I, I mean, a lot of adults are in that same place. They, you know, they look across the street, they see what their neighbor has that they don't, or they look on Facebook and they see what their friends post about their life that they don't have in their life. And, and we play this comparison game and we feel like we should have the same thing that they do mm-hmm. instead of looking at our own lives and saying, no, we have what we need and we're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on that note, absolutely avoid comparison at all costs because our children are individuals and, and comparison doesn't always just have to do with the stuff that you have or the time that you get or the attention that you get. Sometimes comparison can have to do with your own personal attributes, how tall you are or how kind you are or how pretty you are, whatever it is. And, and we talk about this on the Sean West podcast also. When you compare yourself to 
another artist or another designer, you're really doing yourself a disservice because you are a different person from that other designer. You're in different circumstances. So there's, there's no way for you to make a fair comparison and, and to be fair with yourself. Really, the only way that you can be fair with yourself is to compare yourself to yourself. Mm-hmm. To say, if, and if there's something about you that you're dissatisfied with, or if there's something about your life that you're dissatisfied with, it's better to make goals and work towards something and then look back and say, okay, I made this progress, than it is to compare yourself to other people and, and let that discontentment drive you. Mm-hmm. Because that discontentment and that comparison to others is not going to drive you in the same way that personal growth does. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And an example, I, I feel like a lot of times we as parents are really good at comparing ourselves to other people when we really have no idea. I mean, I know a lot of people come up to us a lot and, and say like, I don't, I don't, just don't know how you do it. I only have three and I'm like barely hanging on. And I don't think it's so much a comparison game as it is we adjust to our realities and we, you know, we try to become better parents in the situations that we have. Yeah. Instead of comparing ourselves to another parent. Um, and I, I remember when our oldest was born and uh, I mean, he was about two and we would take him to a church nursery and I would see all these other kids who would like sit quietly on these seats when the teachers told them to. And he was, you know, like he was hanging out in the back. He didn't really want to sit down. He wasn't running around, but he was just, you know, even then he wanted to do his own thing. And I remember thinking, how in the world do parents get their kids to do that? You know, just, and it was a subtle comparison between those kids and my kid and wondering what was wrong with my kid. And I think when we parent from that place, it's, it's a dangerous place because we're, we're not vocalizing that comparison so much, but in our actions, we're, we're propagating that comparison. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult. I'm thinking about even with our own children, Mm -hmm. our second oldest, his personality is, is very easygoing. He's much more compliant and he's, He's just a very different individual from our oldest. And I always have to catch myself when I see him, who is, he, he, what is he, two and a half years younger? Mm-hmm, yeah. when, when I see our second oldest behaving in a certain way and, and demonstrating some maturity that our oldest doesn't quite seem to grasp yet. And and there are a couple of things going on there. There's, there's kind of this expectation that I have of, oh, well, he's older, so he should be as he, he should be more mature mm-hmm. than his younger sibling. And that's a, that's a dangerous expectation to have because each of our children develops and grows in different ways in, in, and, in different times. Mm -hmm. So where one may be very emotionally mature, but intellectually not as mature, the other may be very intellectually mature, but emotionally not as mature. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to realize that 
they're going to be different developmentally. And when you see those differences, so the the second thing that's going on there is maybe a little bit of fear. Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, like is something he, is wrong. Yeah. yeah is something mm-hmm. wrong that he hasn't reached this level of maturity yet? Yeah. Okay. And a good example of this too, that probably a lot of parents can relate to is potty training. And, you know, each kid develops at his own rate. And our oldest was potty trained before he was two, which is unheard of for a little boy. But then the second oldest, I remember we were coming up on his third birthday and he was still having accidents. And I and I remember asking the pediatrician about it because I was so concerned that there was something wrong. And he set my mind at ease. But in my mind, I just kept comparing the experience that we had had with one of the other boys. And I remember getting, I remember feeling angry about accidents because I felt like you should be old enough to, to do this because your brother was. And it wasn't so much that I would say things like that, but, but even that, even that belief in your mind can come through in all of your actions. Yeah. And, and, and so that's, that's where we as parents can really do ourselves a, a great service is talking ourselves out of those ideas and those thoughts and yeah. beliefs as much mm-hmm. as possible. And our pediatrician was wonderful. One of the things I loved about speaking with him was that because he's such an expert, because he understands child development and and because he's an unbiased, you know, outside third party, mm-hmm. he was able to give us objective information about yeah. child development. And it really, it really served as a great compass for us where all we had was our own personal experience. I mean, even the, and, and there are times when I get those feelings and I force myself to sit down and do my own independent research yeah. and say, okay, what's really going on here? And mm-hmm. and that also helps because I'm usually able to find that, oh, my fears or my frustrations really are unfounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so yes, it's okay to feel frustrated, but let the let the reality change the way that I'll respond to this in the future. Right. Mm-hmm. So in that vein, I wanted to get into the way that we talk about, uh, talk to our children, talk them through their conflicts and the way that we talk about them in one another's hearing. And there, there's some work that you and I need to do right, uh, right now that we're working through changing our language and changing the way that we speak when we're dealing with sibling conflict and Mm -hmm. when we're dealing with sibling relationships. So the, the, the anchor that holds all of our healthy communication together is speaking objective truths about the situation. And this has to do with their identity, you know, speaking objectively about who they are. Mm-hmm. And an, an example of speaking objectively is saying something like, oh, you're, you're, his or her brother, your his or her sister. And there are some implications there about how that relationship speaks into their true identity versus saying something like you're being a bully. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's subjective because that's really not who they are. It just seems that way because of their actions. 
But if you stepped back and you looked at the objective truth, a child is not a bully. They're just, they think that that's the best way to get what they mm-hmm. want and they haven't learned a better way yet. Well, and one of the things that we try to do also is just reinforcing their identity for them. So when they make a bad decision, we don't say things like, oh, you're a bad boy or you're a bully or those kinds of labeling things. But we say, we frame it in a way that's like, oh, you you made a bad decision. Yes. And, yeah. But this is not who you are. You are not this bad decision. You are something better than this bad decision. And I believe that you can figure out how to, how to make it right. Yeah. And, and another thing that you can say that's objective is you can talk about their capacity for goodness. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if, if they haven't necessarily demonstrated this consistently, but if you've ever seen them do something kind or do something selfless, you can say, oh, I know that you can be kind. I know that you can be, I know that you're capable of being selfless and, and just reminding them of what they're capable of doing in that situation. And then just observations about the situation itself. It's okay to say something like, oh, you took that car from your brother without becoming emotionally invested in the outcome or without trying to attach your feelings about the situation to what you're trying to do to help your children walk through that. Mm -hmm. There's, I think there is a time and a place for you to express your feelings about what happened, but it's better in the beginning, in the middle of the conflict, when it's still going on for you just to be the observer, the objective observer. Yeah. Are you going to go through an example whenever you get through these things here? Yes. I just wanted to make it more practical for people in case they're kind of like, well, I don't even know what this means. Well, yeah. Why don't, why don't we go ahead and get into some examples of that? Okay. Do you have one that you want to share? Well, I was just going to take yours, what you said about somebody taking a car from somebody else. We, we've had this conflict multiple times in our house recently because the twins are home alone with the baby. So I guess that's not home alone. So we have three home right now because the three older ones went to school. And we thought, I guess in my mind, I thought that would eliminate some of the fighting because, you know, it would maybe by half because half of the boys are gone. Um, But that hasn't been the case because the twins like to fight as well. Yeah. And so in times when they are, you know, like they both want the orange car, even though there's another orange car over here. One of the twins is really bad about just taking it from the other one. And so in an example like that, so one of the kids has taken the car and the other kid is crying. What you can do is come into that situation and just observe and just say, huh, I saw a little boy take a car from another little boy. And now this other little boy is crying and you can use their names, obviously. Right. And then just ask a question, what, what can we do about that? And, and maybe even point to the one who took the car away and and just say, what do you think, what do you think is wrong with your brother? And just asking those questions and, and getting them to think about what they just did and, and guiding them through how they may feel or, or they might feel if their brother had done the same to them. And that's hard for, I mean, our twins are three. 
So it's really hard for them to think about the whole empathy thing because that's not even a part of the brain that is developed. I mean, it, that part of the brain doesn't even fully develop until you're 25. So yeah. um, it's always a work in progress. But the more that we can open up these conversations, the more our kids are going to start thinking about that kind of thing. And uh, we can help develop that in them. I always, I also really like using we language when we're talking about giving, giving our children some instruction. So what I, what I like at first about your example is that it really puts it on them to, to think through that. Mm -hmm. But if it, if they don't still seem to be getting it, it might not be a bad idea to go ahead and, and kind of nudge them in the right direction. And so I like to use this we language and there's positive we language and there's negative we language in the sense that, uh, well, and, and I'll give you an example here. So I'll say, we ask when we use our words and ask when we want something. Yeah. And that's kind of reinforcing the house rules. So one of our house rules is if you want to play with something that somebody else is already playing with, we ask, Yeah, we don't take. And 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 so there was an example of what you just said, an example of a positive we, mm-hmm. and then the kind of corresponding negative we. Mm-hmm. And I try to avoid negative we's as much as possible. So instead of saying, we don't hit, mm-hmm. I might say, we touch each other gently. Mm-hmm. And, and And we've talked about that before, trying to use positive cues versus negative cues. And not negative in the sense that it's good to know what your boundaries are. It's good to, and, and sometimes that's necessary to let your child know this is something that's not acceptable that we don't do. But I really like that we, because it is inclusive, it, it reinforces the fact that they're part of a family, they're part of a community. Mm-hmm. And, and this community has rules by which it operates, mm-hmm. rules that help us to live together peacefully and, and for everything to happen in the best interest of all, all of us who are in the boat together. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm sure that somebody is thinking in their minds. So how do you do this when there's violence? Because kids are pretty good at escalating their feelings to where they're, you know, hitting each other because they're so angry. Right. Because they feel so angry. Right. So there are times when your, your child or children may be so emotionally flooded, w- whether they're being violent or not, they may be so emotionally flooded that they can't work through their conflict in that moment. And so it is good to, to try to help them get to that place and, and work up to being able to work through their conflict. But certainly if there's violence involved, if if one of them's hurting the other, even if it's not physical, even if it's emotional, like name calling and that kind of thing, we can step into this role of protector and, and by removing them from that situation, whoever the, the aggressor is and, and focusing on this is, this was a really good thing that we, uh, that we read in the siblings without rivalry. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. So you may need to physically get involved and remove them from the situation where they're putting themselves and and their sibling in danger. 
-hmm. You're not just protecting the person who was being hurt, but you're also protecting the person who was doing the hurting by keeping them from doing something that would harm them emotionally as well. So one of the things that we read in the siblings without rivalry was that you want to, once you've gotten the situation under control, you want to focus on the individual who is hurt. And again, we go back to that speaking objectively, speaking and speaking objective truths. So, so making observations about, Oh, you, you look sad because your brother hit you. Mm -hmm. And, and you, you do that in the other person's hearing so that they can see the effect that their actions had on the other person, not in a, in a, not to shame them or to like, you should feel ashamed because you hurt your brother. Right. But really just, you want to connect their actions to the outcome and allow them to see that in an objective way. And you can do that by focusing on the person who is hurt rather than pointing your fingers and focusing on the person who did the hurting. That's mm -hmm. hard to do. It's I, really hard to do because as parents, I mean, I hate to see our boys fight, but our boys are very physical. And a lot of times when they're arguing, that's where it ends up, you know, yeah. where one has hit another or they're both hitting each other or something like that. And uh, it's hard not to get, emotionally in, involved in that because we know that that's not how the real world works, but you know, they're only eight and six and five. And so the, the more that we can point them toward a better way of showing their feelings, the better, better they're going to get at that. Yeah. And you know, it's good. Like we said, we, we need to acknowledge our feelings as, as the parents, it's good for us because it's it's not invalid that you feel frustrated. There are so many reasons why you would feel frustrated in that situation. There's the fear that they'll continue behaving that way throughout the rest of their lives and they'll become this person that nobody wants to be around. Yeah. You don't want that for your child. And so that comes into play. There's also the inconvenience of having to deal with a conflict and help them work through that where it may have taken you away from some, something else or maybe keeping you from getting somewhere you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the fact that you just love both of these people and it's painful to see them at odds with each other. And so there's nothing wrong with feeling those feelings, but as, but as much as you can keep your personal feelings out of the objective process of helping them work through their conflict. Yeah. And then after they've done that, it's, it's okay to let them know, you know, I, I felt sad because I love both of you and I like for you to get along. And, and when you are fighting with each other, you, you know, and, and explain your emotions that way. Yeah. You know, I have to have a confession here. The other night when you did episode 200 with Sean and I was here with the boys by myself, the boys were, I mean, they were fighting so much and I was kind of at the end of my rope and, um, the oldest, like just punched one of the other boys. And I was just like, I cannot believe after all of the training that we have given you and he's made like huge bounds this summer 
in trying to control his emotions and things. And I just spouted off these words that, I mean, I think I said something about like, if that's the way you want to act all the time, then you're just going to be put in jail because people don't want to be around. (laughs) It was awful. I feel terrible about it. But I, I went back and apologized for all of the things that I said. And I explained to him how it made me feel whenever I see my oldest son, who I love very, very much, hitting his brothers or choosing something that is not a wise choice. Yeah. You know? And so I, I think in those moments that maybe we have failure with that sort of thing, the good or, or, or the way that we can repair those is going back and apologizing and letting them know, you know, I, I feel flooded sometimes too. Yeah. And, and, and we've talked about this, uh, is just being honest about our own feelings and our own failures because we're still learning too. That's right. And it's hard. It's hard to be a parent. You're a good mom. Yeah, I know I am. That kind of brings me into our next topic under this section. We want to be careful about how we talk about. So you said that, um, but you, you didn't just say that in front of the oldest. Yeah. His other siblings also heard that. And so we we want to be careful about not just what we say to the individual, but what their siblings hear from what we say as well. Even if it's something that's not quite as direct or, or seemingly harmful, it could be a very subtle thing, but just the, the way that we talk about our children in front of their siblings can inform the way that their siblings see their brothers or sisters. And so um, one, of, one of the examples was of a sibling who was having difficulty reading something. And instead of saying, oh, it's okay, it, you can't, you know, you can't read that yet because you have this disability and focusing on that, what the sibling might get from hearing that is, oh, my, my brother's not smart. Yeah. Um, instead, you could say something like, you know, reading is hard. The word that you're trying to read rhymes with park. And, and then you, you help them achieve something that's difficult. And what the sibling might get out of that is, Oh, they did it. Mm-hmm. They overcame my that. Bro- my brother can do hard things or my sister can do hard things. Yeah. So without getting into too many different examples, it's it's just important us, for us as parents to be mindful of the way that we talk about our children, knowing that our our kids have as... <laughs> as crazy as it seems sometimes because it feels like they're never listening. Mm -hmm. They never hear what we say, but they've got little ears like radars. They pick up all kinds of stuff that you just don't want them to pick up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you gotta be careful. They hear all the stuff you don't want them to hear. (laughs) That's right. So making, making this practical, taking advantage of these opportunities is really one of the, the great benefits of conflict. Because it's going to come up, we, we get to walk them through these things. And so 
we always want to take advantage of as often as we can these opportunities to help them practice healthy communication. And one of the ways that we can do that is to give them the correct way to communicate and get what they want. So one of the one of the things that we've done for a long time, and this is kind of a blanket thing. It, it works for a lot of different things, but I think we're also going to be getting more specific with some of the ways that we help our children talk about the things that they want. But we say, use your words. And if your words don't work, ask for help. Mm-hmm. So this, like I said, this covers a lot of stuff. It, it covers when they want something and their brother's not giving it to them, when their brother is bothering them and, and they don't want to be bothered, whatever the, whatever the case is. And, you know, we said that our children tend to be more physically driven. Mm-hmm. when it comes to expressing their feelings. And so so we've just said this over and over, and we've kind of made it our mantra. Use your words, and if your words don't work, ask for help. And we just implemented this new one, and I'm, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it yet, but I'm going to go ahead and share it. Okay. It was, it was something that I came up with because I thought that it, it's also kind of funny and it might dispel <laughs> it might dispel some of the tension. Yeah, and it does. It's, it has. Yeah, it's an acronym. And the words uh for the acronym are breathe. And then the second one is use your words. The third one is talk about your feelings. And the fourth one is take a step back. Now, the fourth one is kind of arbitrary, but I needed the second T so that I could spell but. <laughs> That's actually a word we don't allow our kids to say, so they think it's hilarious every time we... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not allowed to say it, but, 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 but oh. <laughs> they, can use, they can use this word when they're talking about this method. So it's breathe, and, and the breathing just helps them to calm down a little bit. Use your words. Talk about your feelings. And taking a step back really has more to do with removing yourself a little bit from the situation so that you're not as prone to acting out physically to try to get what it is, the, the outcome that you want. Mm-hmm. So, so what I've said, I've said on several occasions during the past few weeks, uh, 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 use your butt. <laughs> Jaden, use your butt. And, uh, and he always gets this like, funny little smile on his face. That's right. So, so it does help, you know, it brings humor to the situation, but then he also, I mean, they learned it really quickly what the words meant or what the words were. Yeah. So it's been helpful. That's right. So I think it's a good one. I don't know that I would like them to use it in public. (laughs) I know. Or maybe whispering, you could have a secret hand signal. Use your butt. (laughs) (laughs) How, what what would the hand signal be? <laughs> I have so no the, idea. The important the important emphasis here is on having communication and being able to use words and express feelings without getting into name calling or being physically aggressive to get the outcome. Mm-hmm. And and then I do I do remind them that if that's not working 
if they're still not getting the outcome that they want, then they can ask for help. And it's not always just about getting the outcome that they want, but, but I do want for them to know that they are heard. I want them to know that their desires matter, Mm -hmm. whether those desires can be fulfilled or not. And so that's, that's a way that we help them express their desires and, and have their desires heard without always giving into unhealthy requests, but, but stepping in sometimes as necessary to help them work that out the, the right way in a way that's fair. One of the things that isn't quite as obvious is to help our child, our, our children explore and articulate their negative feelings. I, we, we have this tendency as parents when our children have negative feelings toward their siblings to try to push those down. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples is when our children say, oh, I hate my brother. Mm-hmm. That can really get under our skin. Yeah. And, and I find myself often jumping to, hey, we don't use the word hate. Mm-hmm. But what is, what is a healthier approach there is to, and, and it's good. You, you do want to eventually get back to, we, you know, we don't use words like hate to describe how we feel, but, but first that, you know, that's how they're feeling and you can help them rearticulate those feelings. You can observe the situation and make, and, and state objective truths about what's going on mm-hmm. and how they feel as a result of the situation. And, and so when we do that and we validate those feelings, we're not saying that we're not saying that it's okay to hate your brother or to be hostile toward your sibling, but we are saying that it's okay to feel your feelings and to work through them. Yeah. It's, it's important to see what hides behind that expression. So when a sibling says that they hate another sibling, it's important to see what drives that feeling and put it into words for them so that they know next time they can use these words. And they know also that mom and dad understand them and that we're not just being dismissive. And that's one one of the points I was going to bring up too is um, what I found also, and you know, I've I've read this from psychologists and uh, different doctors, but it's not helpful to just be dismissive of what our kids say. So, so if you, you know, if your if your kid in a moment of rage says, oh, I hate my sister. And we say, Oh, you don't really hate her. You just feel like you hate her. Yeah. And even though we're trying to, you know, be gentle about that, it's just, it's not helpful to kids when we dismiss the way that they feel. And, and really what's going on there is they they may have heard that word somewhere before if if our children were exposed to some tv show that used the word monkeys to describe really strong feelings of dislike or mm-hmm. frustration toward another person they might say something silly like i'm i am monkeys at that person mm-hmm. you know like they they don't understand they don't understand they don't yeah. get they don't get the really subtle differences between words that you can use to describe your emotions. They just know that what they're feeling is very strong. Mm -hmm. And that seems like the strongest word that they have. And so that's, they, they don't understand 
that word the way that we do. And so it's important to remember that as a parent. Yeah. And and whatever meaning they've assigned to that word, that it's valid to them in that moment. Yeah. And so by saying that that word isn't valid, it's like for them, it's like we're saying that that whole, feeling yeah. isn't valid. Now, I will say that the even greater challenge for us as parents is when our kids turn that on us. So when they say something like, I hate you, or um, what was it that Jaden called you one time? A git? <laughs> he. This was from Harry Potter. Yeah. So apparently it was like an insult from Harry Potter. Yeah. And so he... <laughs> oh. He called you that. I'm so offended. So, so yeah. the challenge that we have as parents is to not become emotionally connected to that. And I feel like that's a huge challenge for me whenever the kids are saying something because it feels like it's just this act of disrespect. Yeah. Uh, when really it's just our child trying to communicate their feelings. And so the challenge for us is to get below that language and see what's really going on at a, at at the basic level for our kids. And sometimes it means that, you know, they, they haven't felt like they've spent enough time with us or, you know, sometimes it, it stems from that filling their cup with time and those kinds of things. So, and I did want to say, I don't know if you get around to this, but I feel like something that I've learned and, and things that I've, you know, culminated in books and stuff is that, the basis for a good sibling relationship is us having a good relationship with each of our children so that, you know, one kid doesn't see that you have a better relationship with his sister and starts to feel like, well, why don't I have that relationship with my parents? Um, and so the work for us as parents is to make sure that we're always keeping that good relationship going. So the yeah. times that that relationship is severed, we're making the attempts to repair it. That's right. And doing the work. And and just for clarification, that doesn't that doesn't prevent conflict necessarily. But it does It does lessen it though. It it can, yeah, it, it it does definitely lessen it. But it just communicates to them that they are important to you as an individual and that their that their unique needs matter to you regardless of how you treat their siblings mm -hmm. and it, that goes back to what we were talking about with equality it's not about giving everybody the same amount of time or the same amount of attention but it's really about giving each of our children the time and attention they need mm -hmm. and the type of attention they need some some children you know this is going back to episode eight we talked about how knowing your child's personality type can help you speak their language. So mm -hmm. each of our each of our children have different needs. They're they're different personalities. The way that they receive affection is different. And so it's okay to and it's it's good to recognize those things, to learn about those things and and give them what they need, not just what's equal so that everybody has the same amount. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one to go back and listen to in the boat with ben.com slash eight. And finally, we want to make space, always want to make space for them to communicate about what happened. 
there's there's some aspect of storytelling in there and storytelling can be a very powerful tool when it comes to helping our children work through conflicts mm-hmm. when at, at a time when they're not as tense when they're not emotionally flooded maybe maybe even after they've already resolved the conflict they're no longer fighting about something you can create space to revisit that and tell the story of what happened and what's important is they'll get to they'll each maybe get to be a part of the storytelling process and talk about what they were feeling at different times during the story but the really important thing is for them to see that they are both in the story mm-hmm. they're they're both characters together and one character is not more important than the other character there's not a hero and a villain they're just two characters in the same story that had an experience together mm-hmm. there was there was a situation and there was an outcome and so it's important for our children to see that they are in the same story mm-hmm. and that they are equally important parts of that story. Wow. Really long pause, Ben. I just wanted to let that sink in. So those were some practical ways that you can help your children work through conflict when specifically dealing with conflict. But you alluded to some of this, and I, I like this focus as well. Outside of those situations, you can help your children by fostering a healthy relationship with each of them individually. You can also help your children avoid rivalry, avoid that comparison game, and even avoid some conflict by giving them opportunities to enjoy time together and grow closer in other ways. Mm-hmm. And so this comes through working together. It could be that they have a chore that they need to work on together and and you know it, it may even be one of those things where they're like I can't believe mom and dad are making us do this and there's kind of this camaraderie that comes through suffering mm-hmm. you know so you can take advantage of that by putting them on the same side of the issue and also when they play together you know doing fun things together as a family giving them opportunities to to play games together and do fun things is a way that you can also foster that closeness. As long as the emphasis is not on winning because that can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a really, really good book that I would recommend also. It's called peaceful parents, happy siblings. And it's a real, I, I think it just came out last month by Dr. Laura Markham. And she has a lot of games that you can play with your kids um, that that kind of pits kids against parents where they're like working together to, um, you know, to just play against mom or dad. Yeah. And so it, it just it helps with the team spirit instead of the rivalry. Um, and so I I mean, the, the book is really great, but even if you only read it for those suggestions on how to foster those relationships with games and fun things. Yeah. It was it, I would highly recommend it. That sounds interesting. I'll have to read that one. Yeah. Oh, we're going to read it together. Okay, good. Cuz I want to read it again. Read it again. 
a couple of things that just occurred to me that we didn't really get into, but there is, when you, when you said peaceful parents, it immediately made me think of the fact that the way that we work through conflicts in front of our children Mm -hmm. becomes an example of how they work through conflict. Scary. That is scary. (laughs) So that's, it's a good thing to keep in mind. And it's also in, in a way a little bit freeing because sometimes I think we as parents feel like we need to hide our disagreements and arguments. But when there's, when there's conflict in your marriage relationship and it's something that you know that you can work through in a healthy way, uh, doing that in front of your children can be a very powerful example that they can learn from and, and take on and use when they experience conflict. Yeah, definitely. And then the the second thing that I didn't really get to, but I wanted to mention was that avoid was to avoid pitting your children against one another, even playfully. Mm-hmm. Now this is, this is something that I'm guilty of. Yeah. you Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm, this is terrible when I say it out loud, because in the moment, <laughs> in the moment, it's like, Oh, uh-huh, that's, you know, fun and cute. But, but I'm, I'm in a hurry to get somewhere. I'm maybe I'm running late because I, you know, didn't do stuff on time or whatever. It's, you know, I'm responsible, but my children aren't dressed yet. They need to get dressed and I make it a contest because if I don't make it a contest, it's going to take forever. I have to do (laughs) like, I have to intervene. I actually have to dress each of them or if I, you know, leave it to them, them to do it, it's just going to, take a long time. And so, so I say, uh, so I give them their clothes and I say, let's see who can get dressed first. And they love it. They eat it up. They love that, that conflict and that competition. Um, but I always have to deal with the fallout of that when somebody finally oh, yeah. wins and mm-hmm. the other person, um, our oldest did, he, he did something the other day cause I, I did it again and he was the last one <laughs> and he said, well, the last shall be first. <laughs> and as, and as funny and playful as that seems, there are other ways where we let that kind of competition and pit, pitting the children against one another, uh, against one another sneak in that really creates an unhealthy precedent. And mm. so so I, just I mean, wanna... if you wanted to do something like that to see how fast they could get dressed, you you could just say, "All right, let's let's time it. Let's see how fast you can get dressed." You know, and then it's... it could be each, each individual one. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So if if you do that, make it about setting a personal yeah a personal record. Mm-hmm. Think about say, what that would yeah. teach them. Also, in the whole entrepreneurial. Oh my gosh, I'm so tired entrepreneurial word <laughs> word no I, I got what you're saying in, in the freelance world yeah there you go it's not the same thing but yeah um, so Jaden, last time you you achieved a new personal record you got dressed in 59 seconds let's see if you can beat your old time i like that that's yeah. a great idea mm-hmm. definitely using that yep all right. Well, th- this was, we're, we're running a little bit late, yeah. but this was a lot of good stuff. 
I feel like we'll probably have to visit it again. Yes, definitely. Rachel, where can people go to find us online? Intheboatwithben.com. That's right. You can go to intheboatwithben.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there. We send out a weekly newsletter with our show notes for the show, quick takeaways, highlights, and a personal message from me. Well, that would make it worth it. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you can also check out Rachel at racheltolson.com. She is on Twitter at Rachel Tolson. Mm-hmm. I am on Twitter at Ben Tolson. If you want to help out the show, you can go to seanwest.com slash community. Such amazing people in there. Through all of our foibles tonight, I don't know how many of them Aaron is going to leave in. You just They've, said foibled. I did. <laughs> they've, what's wrong with that word? But they've hung out with us. They've been listening in live on the show and contributed to the conversation. And the show would not be possible without the community. You should definitely check it out. SeanWest.com slash community. See what it's all about. And help out the show and join. All right. Well, thank you guys for hanging out with us. Thank you. Don't forget to use your butt. junior high i can't stop laughing i'm like crying so hard yeah you have the gig- uh. you have the giggles now don't you so winston in the chat room brought up <laughs> an interesting but i mean it, it's it's true out of context <laughs> that phrase don't forget to use your butt mm-hmm. is hilarious and i think about the person who like they were listening and maybe the po- the podcast was playing and then they just for some reason for one reason or another they missed that part and they didn't hear that technique they didn't hear about and so they get to the they get to the end of the <laughs> podcast and just out of nowhere Rachel says and don't forget to use your butt well they'll have to go back and listen you have to it's go back incentive. and listen <laughs> it'll be in the show notes that's oh, right man. that's right I'm I don't sorry, even, it's late. Yeah, it's okay. I don't even know what to do for the after show. <laughs> Didn't you? Oh, people were asking you to say stuff. Is that what it was? No, it's going to be the after after show. <laughs> oh, okay. Guys, if if you're not a part of the community and you're listening, I do. I sometimes do some fun stuff in the after after show. The after shows, it's cool. You know, it's like it's like the after party. You go to the after party, and that's fun. But then the after after party is even more just off the chain. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, I have a lot of stuff that I need to do after this. And you're just going to go to bed, right? Yeah, I am. And I'm going to stay up. Yeah, but you know what? Tomorrow morning, 
when five o'clock rolls around, I'll be out of bed and you probably won't be. <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah, I can't see myself getting up at five o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow. I usually do. Maybe about half the week. No, I've been, I mean, this week, this week has been different. That's true, because school started. Yeah, it's been rough. Our schedule's a little different. It's actually, I feel like it gets me back on track. School? Mm-hmm. I agree. And I, I gotta say, I'm really proud of us. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've made the transition back into the school season very well. Yeah. Now, it's the beginning of the year. So Yeah. It's only downhill from here probably. That's right. It's it, it's one of those things where like in the summer you're so eager for the school year to start because mm-hmm. then you get half of the kids out of the house and you're back on a schedule and a routine. But then that routine just, you know, having to keep up with that wears on you over time. And it's like, when are we going to get a break? Yep. Thank goodness for seasons. Yeah. That's good stuff. All right. So what's the worst thing that you and your brother ever did as kids? You, like the worst conflict or just the worst thing? Um, I guess the worst conflict since we were talking about sibling relationships. Well, I, I remember one time specifically when we, we lived out in Colorado and so we had a dirt road and I got mad at my brother about something and I locked him out of the house Mm, mm -hmm. and he kicked the door (laughs) because he was trying to get in. He kicked the door and it busted the lock and after that happened, well, okay. So before that happened, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit. Before that happened, we were out on the dirt road and he was throwing rocks at me. Oh my gosh. As hard as he could. What a twerp. And I was, I was like running away because I didn't want to get hit by rocks. Mm-hmm. And then somehow I made it back to the house before he did and I locked the door. And that's when he kicked it down. <laughs> and our stepfather was not a very... Nice guy. Nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we both, like once that happened, it was like all of the rage disappeared and we were suddenly both on the same side. Like, <laughs> oh no. Okay. We got to fix this. Yeah. And did you fix it without your parents knowing? No, we did not. Hmm. Nope. What about you? You know, I just, I don't remember a whole lot of conflicts. I think that we we kind of had a traumatic childhood and so i think we all bonded on the same side more than we did like fighting with each other and it was different too because you know my sister was well i i guess there's an the same number of years between me and her as you and your brother but i also had a brother so like that dynamic is totally different you know yeah sisters and sisters don't fight quite as much in the way that boys fight with each other. You know what I mean? Like we're not, we're not as physical and we kind of do things like more emotionally. And I guess I just don't remember a lot of that stuff. So I don't have any good stories about it. Yeah. But I was, I feel like I was pretty close. I do remember one time coming home from school and I had cabbage patch dolls and my sister had gotten into my mom's lipstick and had 
like put it all over my Cabbage Patch dolls lips and mm-hmm. I got really upset about that. Yeah. And then there was another time that I had this tape that I would listen to all the time, like one of those kids songs tapes. And she totally, you know how you can pull out the, what is it called inside? The, the string stuff. The tape? I guess, yeah, the tape part. I, is there a specific name well, for it's that? Well, it's a cassette and the tape is the part oh, that you okay. pull out. Oh, okay, yeah. So she pulled all of that out and when I got home from school it was, so she used to destroy things a lot. S- I was like so upset. I, I know. Yeah, we got our siblings kids. <laughs> our, yeah, our boys, they're going to have so many more stories. Mm-hmm. Yep. 